Matt, I think we're uh, both from the school of thought that there really is no end of life of hardware. When hardware, um, the only acceptable time that hardware should really be retired is probably 25 years from when it's been manufactured. Because <laughs> neither one of us ever wants to get rid of anything. Oh. Uh, and you know, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it's not supported. That's fine. That's just the first lifetime of hardware. So, yeah. this week, sadly, my beloved plasma TV just died. Died right on the wall, if you will. And so, oh, it was only six years old, which to me, unthinkable. Hardware only lasting six years. I, I, I have to say, beside myself, upset. Tell you what, Brandon. Tell you what. I will mail you the key to my storage unit in America. <laughs> <laughs> where I have a a brand new 55 inch TV <laughs> that's been sitting there for four years. <laughs> oh, really? So it's four years old. Nice, perfect. <laughs> it's 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 barely used. I think I got it probably. It was a Christmas present, and then New Year's Eve is when I found out I was moving to Australia. Okay, so you just <laughs> you just left it so in literally- storage. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't bring anything to Australia, so I I have like half a household of of stuff sitting in storage, and I've been I've been reminiscing over this the last few days. It's like, you know, I'm paying I don't know two hundred bucks a month for storage unit, and over I've got four years. Let me do the ROI over for four you. Years. Oh, bad, yeah, yeah, yeah. really bad. Bad. bad, really bad. Well, the 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 shipping container cost was about seventy five hundred dollars. Mm. You should have just mm. Facebook market either a Craigslist this or Facebook marketed. I know what you should just send me the key and I'll just I'm gonna run a little sale for you. You're gonna I'm go just, through it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna run a little sale for you. We're gonna get you some I money. Mean, I'm gonna get you out of that the storage unit. I'm gonna get you a little little Australian spending money for okay, to do something okay. good for the family. Cause because the things that are in there that I know I don't want, uh mattresses. Yeah, um, oh, that's bad. That's not gonna <laughs> that's actually being thrown out. That's not getting sold. Yes, yes. That's on the free um, pile right there. Children's clothes from four years ago. Free pile. Yeah. Hand me downs, um, yeah. Children's toys from four years ago. Pro- okay, that's going to be low. We're going to get some money for that, but not a lot. Probably you know, $10, $20 per item <laughs> um, at most. You know, all my books. I, you know, I have a lot of books. That's not, that's yeah. not going well. That's, um, that's going to be t- that's yeah. going to uh, half price books where they are going to say, yeah. you're going to bring in 700 books. You're going to be like $37.50. And they're going to, and you're like, what do you mean? They're like, <laughs> Only this one book in the corner of your entire pile is going to be worth it. And they're going to say, these computer books that you have here, they don't age well. They don't, there's really nothing we can do. We no, can only, this is where they give you the talk. We can only recycle them. And then you look at them and you say, fine, I'll take the money. That's, what, that's what's yeah, going to happen yeah. there. Uh, it's like hamster betting. Um, yeah, so, so what else is in there? Um, the TV, though, I have to say, I am pained just hearing the story because the fact that you had a new TV four years ago and you have literally paid to watch it, to not watch it, to have it depreciate thousands of miles away from you in, in another hemisphere, yeah, literally in another hemisphere. Uh, so that, that's, I don't know, I feel like I do need to step in on this one. I need to just go get that TV. <laughs> I need to break that TV out. Well, 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 chances are very good I, I won't be able to go to the U.S. for a while. Uh, seeing how I'm in Australia, I can't really come back and forth. Um, it's it's still mandatory two-week quarantine to uh, come in. And because of my visa, they won't let me in, uh, so I can't leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but uh, yeah, there's uh, – I don't think there are any computers. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, a few years ago, I went and I pulled my – I had a desktop that I, I got out of storage and brought here to Australia. Uh, and – when we talk about things, you know, living long past their life cycle, this is a uh, a seven year old shuttle that it's been maxed out to the gills. <laughs> and um, but the thing was, when I bought it, I maxed it out, so mm-hmm. it's actually got like you know, so you get a lot of life use and life out of it. Fancy processor, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And 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 the thing is, like, here's the dirty secret about about processors: they haven't really gotten that much faster. I was gonna say, if it's Intel Xeon, you know they're not updating that chip. That chip, like, <laughs> no, that never gets updated. That's, that's well, like the last yeah, thing yeah. to get anything new. It, it was a beast of a box when I bought it, mm-hmm. and so now it's like you know, it's. It's the same speed as my laptop. I actually like benchmarked them head to head, and my my 2019, you know, uh, MacBook Pro is about the same speed um, because of all the cores. Right. And, you but know. I just hold on. I just ran the benchmark on my iPhone. Turns out it's faster than both of those. That's that's that's, that's, that's the bad news. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, and and you know, so so this is you know continuing to hobble hardware forward like I, i've looked at this box repeatedly because it's 
it, it, it's doing double duty and I'm thinking about doing triple duty with it where, mm-hmm. right. My, it's my gaming PC. It yeah. doesn't get a lot of play cause it's got an old video card, mm-hmm. but from what I've read, I can put a new PCI express video card in it, even though it's like, it's got second generation or something. And they're on like fourth generation now mm-hmm. they're still electrical compatible. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, but will it be will it be one of these things like you'll put a video card in it, but it'll like run it like half the speed because it's not the right know. PCI slot or something? I, or I don't know, right? It, you know, but it's like yeah, at least I'm not spending you know eight hundred dollars on a new PC. And then you know, but but the thing is like when you continue to support this old hardware, I, I was you know tinkering with this thing yesterday, and I was like that fan's loud. And then you know I just dropped twenty bucks on a new fan. It's just like why am I doing these things? And then you know. In the the Slack forums, or well, I mentioned how I was trying to get my USB camera. I was trying to get my 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 camera to work, mm-hmm. and 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 of course, like since last week, Canon announced that they're releasing software to make it easier to use you know their their cameras as USB cams. Not only their cameras, their DLS, DLSRs, the good ones with yeah, the, yeah, with the, the beautiful one. lenses, so you can use all yeah. your lenses. So I was like, oh, sweet. And then, you know, I go and, of course, the camera I have not supported. And, you know, and then I, I as I continue to dig into it, it's like, I thought this was the DSLR. It's not. It's just like the top point and click camera with the mm. DSLR, like, form factor, but none of the good electronics. <laughs> oh, so you have, like, the bulk of a DSLR, but not the actual nice lenses. That's perfect. That's what exactly. I call the worst exactly. of every world right there. Well, and, and of course, because I can't let it go, right? I can't let it go. I'm like, hmm, I remember on the Oxide podcast a while back, they, they were talking to a guy who had done open source firmware for Canon cameras. Okay. Like it? <laughs> and and, yeah, and so he he needs to backport this. He needs to get in there and keep keep uh, uh, add a couple of generations of support to this new uh, webcam feature. Yeah, so 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 literally like an hour later, I, I've given up and discussed that my you know seven year old Canon camera is no longer supported by this open source project that is totally on the fringes of what you know most people would think. I'm like, oh, I can't believe it's not supported. And then I'm like, well, maybe I'll start digging into the code. And I'm like, at that point, I was like, you know, I I just need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I I really need to stop because first of all. Um, it's my wife's camera, so she mm-hmm. probably will get mad when I brick it trying to upgrade the firmware. Yeah. Yep, um, there. You know, secondly, it's like it's probably not going to work that much that well, and I'm probably going to have to end up buying some sort of power cord for it, of which course. will cost like forty or fifty bucks. And I was like, why didn't I just buy a better webcam anyway? Um, and then, and then thirdly, there was another camera on my on my on my desk that caught my attention and I had to go waste another half hour seeing if I could get anything open source working on that thing. I have a, uh, one of those fisheye 360 cameras mm-hmm. from a company that oh, wow. went out of business four years ago. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> going to be when, really good. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's called a 360 fly. And, and when you Google for it, you know, the, the domains are gone. You know, oh, the, the, company. the whole thing, I mean, the whole, this is like wiped clean. It's one of those yeah, kind of companies. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but when you when you Google when you add the word Linux to it, you find like two YouTube videos that are like two minutes of video footage with no comments or anything. And it's like, what did you do? What did, you know? How can I get this thing to work? Because it's the freakiest piece of hardware. It it runs a Wi-Fi network oh, or nice. Bluetooth network that you connect to it to control. Mm. You know, it, yeah. the USB controls. I don't know. Maybe there's some software somewhere that would work, but you know, it's four or five years old. Um, I didn't pay for this. This was like a door prize, you know, some conference or whatever. No, but you're, no, you're paying clear, for it now, Matt. That's how you're, you're paying, for, paying it for it now. Yes, <laughs> I'm paying for it now because I have wasted, you know, three or four hours at least trying to figure out how I could make this piece of junk hardware that's been sitting in a drawer for four years useful. When mm-hmm. the last thing people want is for me to bring a fisheye webcam into a zoom meeting. <laughs> but I do think the Canon thing I thought was interesting. Cause I had an old DLSR that I bought. I think everyone does this. Like you buy a really nice camera when you have children and then you never use the nice camera because you actually yeah. never have it with you when something interesting happens. So you use your, usually your mobile phone camera, which is a hundred percent what we did. So I had this camera for six years, uh, Canon and had l- nice lenses. And then I saw this and I, w- and I sold it the other day and I was so upset when I saw this, but then I saw my camera wasn't supported. It was sold. It still wasn't in. <laughs> so, so I felt better, but I do think 
they're on to something. I think Canon has maybe inadvertently found like a new market for like, you know, if you will, the, the photography level webcam, right? That I think people are going to start taking something that you could actually, it's maybe built for the desktop, but you can switch lenses on it because I think so many people are doing, you know, web meetings and we've talked so much about it. It's like, I bet you there will become a market for like, you know, what's your typical webcam? Like, I think this one I paid $70 for and it was like, you know, quote unquote top rated by wire cutter. But like the people that want to step up to like, I would just like cameras, like, you know, you get into all the lenses and like the hundreds and thousands of dollars that you can use on lenses. I bet you some Canon person's like, you know what, if this takes off, we're just going to have a, a, a really high end webcam that you can change lenses on. And I think it will do well. I think people will be like, yeah, I need to look great. <laughs> and then you have people like me who are like, oh, I've got some old junk in a drawer. Let me see if how I look in that. Uh, because... Because I'm unhappy with the free webcam Cote gave me five years ago. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, I will say, Matt, as I, I look at you and I look at myself in my own webcam, um, I don't think the lenses are our problem. I don't I feel like that's not uh, – like we, we have a lot of other improvements we can make to our video presentation before we need to step up to the DLSR uh, interchangeable lenses area. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I don't think the world is ready for this kind of streaming. <laughs> we know. We know for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get on with the rundown this week. There's some a lot of good news. Some some interesting things happened this week. So the first that caught my eye was uh, Google is reportedly negotiating to buy enterprise cloud software company D2 IQ, better known as Mesosphere. And D2 uh-huh. IQ is uh, day two operations. I think is that what it means. And so they reported it. So this is what they're saying. It's the company has um, the reported, I, I should say, price is um, higher than the $250 million that they have raised from venture capitalists, but lower than the $775 million valuation that they received in the Series D, which is just a long way of saying really no one's going to make any money here. So they're, And I guess they had some recent layoffs. So it's, I guess it's from the outside looking in, you'd say this is one of these acquisitions where the company isn't necessarily doing really great, but... Google must be intrigued by some of the assets that they have. And of course, longtime listeners will know that when Mesosphere uh, came out, they, they branded themselves DCOS, Data Center Operating System, which, of course, love I it. loved. I loved it. I still love it. I love the still marketing love of that, but it's, I guess it's not happening. So when I first, on first look at this, I was like, hmm, why would Google be interested in this? Because... You know, they invented Kubernetes. Has anyone ever heard that? And it doesn't seem like it would be a natural fit. But then I learned, I went there because it's been a while, that they do have a whole suite of tools for Kubernetes. It's uh, mm-hmm. the K-Sphere, the, uh, the dispatch, dispatch Convoy with a K. Gosh, is that going to be confusing? Uh, <laughs> Mesosphere Kubernetes engine. So I, I looked at this and said, okay, well, maybe this makes sense is that uh, Google is interested in probably bringing over the talent of Mesosphere, or at least some of it. I think there's probably some really smart people there, and they want to bring over all of these. These tools are, I think, are roughly you know operation. I, I don't probably they probably won't like this description, but you know they're basically operational tools that help you manage Kubernetes uh, in lots of ways. So you could easily see where maybe Google slots these tools into their uh, whole set of Kubernetes options and tools that they're providing. Um, and hires a bunch of smart people from Mesosphere to come work for them. So I don't know. It seems like a yeah, the, it makes sense. Prob- you know, they've been a Mesosphere's been around this long. They probably have some some substantial customers too. Mm-hmm. Uh, where where Google, you know, they 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 probably aren't thinking, you know, oh yeah, we we're going to, you know, we're going to take this Mesosphere portfolio and just replace ours. They're, you know, they probably look at the customers and they're like, all right, let's say we attrition fifty percent of that list. You know, so. I don't know how much Mesosphere makes, but you know, let's let's just call the acquisition, you know, two hundred fifty million or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, so the investors get their money back for the most part, um, and you know, the customers, let's say they're making, I don't know, fifty million a year. That you know, does high. that seems like a lot? You, you right? think it that seems, seems high? I think it does. I think they would probably be if they were making that much. They they probably what um, stay out yeah, there for a little a, bit longer. I see, think well, you probably, don't know the multiple. Yeah, we're we're just guessing. We're here, just guessing. Right? We're just guessing. But we know. Listen, we know when you're not going to. I mean, because that just basically means everyone gets wiped out, right? If the valuation isn't higher than what the VCs put in, it's essentially right. maybe a couple found. And really, what happens there is no one makes any money on the stock options. 
the key the key quote unquote quote key employees from Mesosphere will get these nice contracts from Google to stay. They'll probably get very you know nice compensation, double salaries for something like that, and then a bunch of other people just get you know job offers from Google, which is good. I mean that would be a nice thing, right? And then you know sales gets fired, marketing gets fired, other people probably unfortunately (laughs) HR gets fired, have to go find other jobs, but um. So that all makes sense. So I I just think it's it's not. I think they would take any of the customer stuff. I think it's just the the classic build versus buy. Like you know, if they look at these tools, um, you know, all the ones I just mentioned there for Kubernetes, and they've got that, and they also have these things for data services. And one of these products is called I don't even I think, I think it says Kudo K U D O. So I think if they just look at that and they say, hey, do we do these tools? How can they quickly be in? integrated into GCP? Do they solve some existing problems uh, around managing Kubernetes? I think the answer would be yes and yes. So so I think that's how you're doing this acquisition, right? You're like, I'm going to get these tools. I'm going to get these guys in GCP. I'm getting a product manager, a bunch of engineers, and they're going to make this. In two years, they're going to own the operation side of Kubernetes and GCP for us. I mean, I got to think that the tools, they'd have to be really compelling um, because, you know, it, the time it takes to integrate them into your ecosystem and, and onboard those engineers, like, you know, how, how fast would it be to just hire, you know, 10 engineers and replace that? You know, you hire your t- 10 engineers, target two and a half million a year, that's not that bad, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, re- to write, you know, a new, you know, two new products or so, you know, you could actually, you know, knock that out pretty fast unless there is a large footprint of customers using this stuff. You know, I, I, I still maintain that, like, unless the customers are there, who cares about the tools? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's, uh, uh, that, that's uh, <laughs> this segment brought to you by Matt Ray's private equity firm, uh, <laughs> where, where, where we focus in on customer value and, I mean, on, I, I, and recurring revenue. So, Trust me, I love some tools. I love writing code. <laughs> but if nobody's paying to use them, you know, there's there's... Code without users is not that useful. Code without you users know? is a side project. That that yeah, is, exactly. uh, and we all have one I, of those. For, I for mean, somebody who, whose side project is, you know, thinking about hacking on firmware for cameras, I know nobody's paying for. No, really, <laughs> for, you're not. You haven't released that out. That's not getting a lot of. Uh, it's it's not a. Uh, what is it like a, on uh, eBay or something where people are, are buying that from you at this point? I, I, I I'm I'm very transparent about the code that I work on and the failures that I encounter, you know, I, I'm happy to write that stuff up because it's like, I've had people like, I thought about doing that. Thanks for not, thanks for wasting your time. <laughs> Why so, does, I don't know. You know, I, when you get behind the scenes, I mean, who knows? I mean, we really are. This is we're into, yeah. we don't know what we're talking about, but the assets to me that I can easily see are the experience of building Kubernetes. Right. And I think maybe we shouldn't like the whole aqua hire things. It isn't probably super easy to get very talented senior Kubernetes people, even for Google, right. right? So there's some value there. The tools, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell you like I could write them, but there probably is some real good IP in there. As far as the revenue, I just think most of the time when companies are in this kind of situation, the revenue is bleaker than we think, right? That's that's what's going on. It's like whoa, like the quarter just ended. They did you know a round of thirty layoffs. And that, you know, that usually, that's a huge miss. That's going to be like, well, they missed it like by half or something like that. They had a huge deal that was going to quote unquote come in and missed by half. And now the company's really starting to look at either we sell this thing or we're going to have to raise a huge well, down and, round or, or it's ending. So, yeah. And, and, and that's why I, I think they probably do have some sizable customers that have, you know, large footprints. And so Google, you know, looks at them and they're like, all right, you know, we drop 250 million on here. We we pick up 50 million in revenue, and maybe we can hold on to that. So mm-hmm. you know, what do we get for 200 million? Well, you know, that 50 million in revenue, like over time, that's actually like, you know, 200 million, right? You expect you're going to keep most of that for five years, um, and and so then it's like, you know, talent acquisition and software acquisition for 50 million. Yeah, it sounds all right. Right. I assume <laughs> there are a lot of engineers. Listen to us. Fifty million here, fifty million there. Yeah. You know. And, and you know what, way, why not throw a podcast? If someone in wants there. to ship my storage unit, I'd take them. In a podcast. <laughs> and they need like a podcast wing. You know, just throw a little money in this way. Like yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. do it. We'll cover the, Mesosphere the, exclusively. No webcams, right? Yeah. You know, we, we we got this. 
Well, I do think um, it's it's sort of this is kind of I don't you know we're saying this like it's done, so there's a long time, but it, it's kind of bookending, right? So we had Docker, of course, you know they sold off. I guess what we think of Docker got sold off to who? Did, uh, I just forgot. It was a uh, Marantes, right? right. Yeah. A while back. So, and then now we our friends at you know Mesosphere again. They're always going to be Mesosphere to me. I I get the D2IQ thing. It's it's a creative logo, I guess, but it's it's always Mesosphere to me. But now Mesosphere's kind of coming. I mean, it's kind of already come to an end. But you know they've done the pivot, and it seems like. So this is really the consolidation that we talked about uh, I, probably years ago when, when this whole thing started. It was like when Docker raised, I think it was upwards of a billion dollars in Mesosphere. I guess it says here, you know, they were valued at $750 million. You really are saying at that point, you're going to try to be the next VMware. You're going for the big one. You're going for like, we're going to be the VMware type company for Kubernetes. And so what we're just kind of seeing here is that it's not happening, right? For these, at least for Docker and for Mesosphere, it didn't. You know, it's it's not hitting, right? It's like the cloud vendors well, have, if you will, uh, cr- uh, crowded everybody out and have, it's, if you will, we're in a probably a three-way race in the cloud or four, depending on how you want to count it. And it's sort of like parity has won out in this case. Yeah. And of course, th- this article is not concrete. So maybe we're just, well, maybe we're just, you know, spitballing over rumors. But, uh, you know, uh, it feels like it's I will probably, say, we'll probably- cite our source here. Ax, it's Axios reported citing someone close to the situation. So that either means someone from Google or from someone from D2IQ. So, like, I'm confident they're having conversations, right? Now, I don't know. Of course, like, anything can happen, right? But, like, I think there's, like, a little trial balloon kind of thing going on here. Because Axios is pretty good. They're pretty deeply sourced. And when they write that, citing someone close to the situation, or I guess I should say, or just an investment banker. An investment banker is clearly, like, you know, doing some deals here and he's either trying to get another lead in there from Mesosphere D2IQ, of course, or, um, they're just kind of like trying to see like, okay, well, is, is anyone else want to jump in here? Does Microsoft want to get involved? You know, is anyone else, yeah. you don't want to jump on that? I, I, IBM, you want some of this? <laughs> I don't think so. I think they're pretty committed. <laughs> I want to ask our friend, Mr. Brian Gracely. They seem pretty committed to what they're doing. This would be, yeah. this would be talk about a shock. I would be like, Whoa, well, and I, one more, just... throw it all in there. More more stuff to to put in the blender, right? Right. <laughs> VMware's got their blender. They got the Heptio and the Pivotal, and mm. you know, and they're mixing all that up together with their uh, yeah, Tanzu. Tanzu. And... We got the Tanzu uh, cocktail going, right? We got the Red yeah. uh, Redshift. We got the open. That's an old Sun reference. Got the OpenShift cocktail yep. going. So yeah. So yeah. Well, Mesosphere. Every... I guess it's not over for you, but again, you'll always be Mesosphere to me. That's all. I, <laughs> that's all I can really say there. Yeah. All right, everybody's favorite Linux platform. I don't know if this is really true, but Ubuntu is back in the news this week. All right. Yeah. And so this is what we learned. Mr. Mark Shuttleworth. Man, t- that man takes a fine picture. When you see him, yeah, I always look at him like he looks like an executive when I see him. So um, <laughs> he, he is out talking about uh, canonical uh, profitability. So I thought this was, this was interesting. In the first nine months of canonical's 2019 physical year, the company had 83. Four three million in gross revenue with ten million in profits. A closer look reveals that Canonical has been profit- profitable since 2018. So my question: Are you surprised at these numbers? Either way, were they higher or lower than what you had thought? Probably about where I thought they'd be, right? Um, and 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 in my mind, that's underperforming. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think Canonical has ever seriously gone after the enterprise. Like it's just not them um and and which isn't to say like the enterprise doesn't use them um but but i've always felt like they they never put in the effort to be taken as seriously as a red hat you know or even a susa right um because you know i i work with a lot of enterprises and you know red hats everywhere and susa pops up occasionally and mm-hmm. whenever susan pops up it's like oh yeah we've got fifteen thousand nodes of it right uh it's because it's some enterprise has just like gone all in on it and, and they get what they want you know you see you see oracle oracle linux yeah. quite a bit okay. you know their their salespeople know how to work the enterprise um but Which is is that still the derivative of solaris or is that like what no, is, no 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 that, oracle linux is a red hat that's uh, its own yeah it's the own yeah that's the one that they built yeah, on their own. It, got it not on their own. They, well, you know, I, it's, you, it's... yeah, not Solaris. <laughs> Let me say that way. It's not the the Sun uh, lineage. It's, it's right, okay. right. Oracle Linux is 
tightly coupled. You seeing any right Solaris X eighty six? Is that pretty much rolled off? Anyone doing that anymore? <laughs> I have not, but you know, I, I've seen some some things in the last week. Uh, you know, I, we, yeah, we keep talking about things like COBOL uh-huh. and uh, you know, re, you know, uh, engineers, you know, coming back from retirement to work on stuff. Um, I, I may have put together a proposal for HPUX support. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was like, it, it's pretty much um, one of those, you know. Which one would you? About, which one you would know, you be you more to... excited to work on? If I said to you, I have an AIX project or an HPUX project. Which one would you like? Oh, let me go work on on this one. HPUX. You wow. know why? Wow. Because because AIX is like still around, and, and and according to Wikipedia, the last release of HPUX was last year in May. So. You know they're they're both still around, but mm-hmm. you know when when I there are when people I where to... there actually was a new release of HPUX last year. Exactly right, man. I guess this is like COBOL. <laughs> the fact that like you just like, somebody's put yeah. out new versions, it's still happening. Yeah, yeah, and and, and so you know I, I had to add this asterisk to you know I talked to customers and 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 folks about like you know the platforms we support, and I always say things like commercially supported operating systems, mm-hmm. and now I have to say like except for HPUX. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, they haven't had like a Ruby build since 2008 or something like that, but yeah. um, but but you know, so so I think I would be more interested in working on HPUX because it's so esoteric. Like <laughs> it's like the opposite of market share. Pick the thing that has the least amount of market share, and Matt Ray's like, you know, I think I'm going to go with that. Well, that I, it kind of goes with that, like you know, I'm trying to you know hack the firmware on a seven year old you know mid-market mid-market camera it's like well mm-hmm. you know it's kind of out there in the weeds um so yeah uh you know hpux um solaris 9 solaris 10 all right so but go uh, back going back to Ubuntu then my question is like yeah, who yeah. is <laughs> buying so right right like, okay so 83 million dollars it's it's not like a huge amount of money but it's also not nothing by any means so the question is like who's buying this like if it's is it just a very small amount of enterprise users, like small shops buying it? Do they have some kind of licensing deal that I should know about? I mean, like, what, where's this well, money coming I mean, from? Yeah, you know, they, they, they definitely have um, – they, they've recently added some, you know, officially supported image stuff to, you know – because, like, part of Ubuntu's popularity in the cloud is the fact that you got high-quality Ubuntu stuff from Canonical, but you didn't have to pay for it. Right, and so the prices for the Ubuntu AMIs are like half that of the Red Hat AMIs, and so that was just the default platform you went to. And everyone, anyone, and everyone can install Ubuntu. You don't have to run CentOS uh, compared to Red Hat. Um, you know, you can't you can't run Red Hat without a license. You know? mm-hmm. and and so that slowed adoption for a lot of folks. And and so I would hazard to guess that a lot of their paying customers are web are are newer enterprises that have come up in you know in the era of of you know well maybe we're not going to pay for this but it's everywhere and now we'll start paying for it where you don't really get that pattern with red hat with red hat it's like well we replaced some aix and solaris and some windows nt with commercially supported linux and so i think they're coming at you know coming from different ends of the market and which you know, uh, I'm here to tell you that the enterprise is full of money. <laughs> well, here are the numbers. And, Here's what you can buy from Ubuntu right now. For virtual machines, uh, for support, $75 a year. For servers, $225 a year. And this last one, for desktops, $25 a year. My question is, who is buying support for a desktop? Isn't it just just throw it out and get a new one or like just rebuild the whole thing and, and restore the backup. Like, are you really calling in for like desktop support on, on Putu? Yeah. Well, if you're, if you're an enterprise that happens to run, you know, 5,000 seats of call center. Hmm. I want to make uh, this enterprise. I want to see what they're doing. That's uh that would be, yeah. that seems weird. It seems like, I mean, there can't be that. I don't know. So it's, just, I guess the numbers are low. I mean, the VMs are the hard one, right? And it's like, that's always a weird one. It's like, well, how many VMs, and if I, you know, spin the VM up and I spin it down, or I create new ones, I don't know. That's always the complicated one. Well, so and, and I know, like, like HPE, I think Ubuntu is their Linux 
right? Okay. Or is it is it back to Debian? I don't know. Like they've gone back and forth a few times. Oh, there's another um, one. But it, Virtual Server Advanced. That's five hundred dollars a year. So they, there you go. They've got their uh, they've got their whole grid here. So I don't know. Well, I, I, I just, but I think we'd like it. We like Ubuntu, where's, right? We, where, we, where, where's the OpenStack pricing? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But it, I don't know. So maybe this is just one of these things where it's like, I, I would say the the revenue is lower, but you know, or maybe this is a company that swings above its weight, right? It's in the sense of yeah, it's not a billion dollar company, but I feel like Ubuntu is incredibly popular. Like people are using it and taking advantage of it and using it. Maybe it's just really popular in the developer community. So that's, oh, yeah. good. that's a good yeah. thing, right? It's just like, yeah, it's probably the best way to run it on your laptop by far, right? I don't, I don't know. Probably except for you, Matt. Are you rebuilding your, you and uh, no SSH <laughs> JJ building your own, own Linux distribution every year from scratch? Are you still well, doing that? Well, well, JJ's at IBM, so I'm sure he's all about the Red Hat well, or, some or point, Fedora. I, that's he's true. All about Before, we'll, we'll let him comment himself. But, but there was a point. He would. He told me he would rebuild Linux once a year uh, just to like keep the uh, – I don't know why, but you know, to keep the, the knowledge fresh. I was like, that's knowledge you can forget, my friend. But uh, he, <laughs> he, he, was, he was committed to well, it. Well, see, and, and, and I, I'm one of those like graybeard Debian guys who never really mm-hmm. – Never really liked Ubuntu as much. <laughs> Listen to you. It's just not complicated. It's again back to market share. It's too popular. It's too easy. Ubuntu's made yeah, it too simple. I know, I know. And so probably, probably when I you know when I get that new fan for my 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 box here, I'll maybe I'll reinvestigate uh, Arch. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm mostly a Debian guy. All right, well, that's so. fair. Well, maybe you know, maybe we can get Noah SSHJJ to uh, stream. He's been into like, a lot of Twitch streaming lately, so maybe they can stream rebuilding Linux from scratch. I don't know how long that would take, but like that would be get some COBOL up on that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Because he did. Yeah, get some COBOL running. I don't know what. I guess there was some other news. This Ubuntu. They they have their latest what LTS long term support release. So yeah, that's good. twenty twenty oh four. Uh, that's I good. mean, there's. New kernel, uh, you know, that's always exciting. But uh, uh, ZFS is the uh, the default um, uh, file system. That's that's kind of cool, which also puts them a little bit out of the mainstream um, because you know uh, Linus Torvalds has said he won't ZFS, take it. I thought, but I thought that was the future. Hasn't ZFS been? Isn't it on our it, Macs? Aren't we all using ZFS it's, now? It's, it's, it's always the future, but everyone's scared of Oracle. Oh, that's true. That's right. It was yeah, gonna, everyone the, was going to use it, and the Oracle said, "No, no, no, can't." They're yeah. going to come calling for some licenses. Well, that's sad. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I am, I am intrigued about the WireGuard support. Um, WireGuard is the new, you know, new quote unquote, uh, like peer to peer VPN uh, system. Uh, that uh, there's a startup around it, but um, it's. Uh, it's an interesting project, and I, I think you know probably in the next year or two it'll start uh, really taking off as as we all start working from home and need you know better VPN options. Um, so so yeah, I think you know twenty twenty oh four is I'm 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 excited for them, uh, but you know it's just not my thing. Well, it's fair enough. Well, listen, I'm not only excited about twenty oh four, I'm excited to announce that we've got a sponsor this week. And I would like everyone to know that today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you transitioning your team to work from home, managing a gazillion SSH keys, database passwords, and Kubernetes certs? Meet StrongDM. Manage and audit access to servers, databases, and Kubernetes clusters, no matter where your employees are. With StrongDM, easily extend your identity provider to manage infrastructure access, automate onboarding, offboarding, and moving people within roles. Grant temporary access that automatically expires to on-call teams. I have to say, Matt, that is my favorite feature. And <laughs> I want everyone to know that admins get a full audit trail into anything anyone does. When they connect, what queries they run, what commands are typed, it's full visibility into everything. For SSH, RDP, and Kubernetes, that means video replays. For databases, it's a single unified query log across all database management systems. And let me just interject here. And the reason you want all that is you're going to make your auditors very, very happy. And I know many of you, you have auditors, they're probably not happy with you. But if you have this tool, auditors, very, very happy. So remember that. Love a, ha- love a happy auditor. So StrongDM is used by companies like Hearst, Peloton, Betterment, Greenhouse, and SoFi to manage access. It's more control and less hassle. StrongDM, manage and audit remote access to infrastructure. 
Start your free 14-day trial today at strongdm.com slash SDT. Again, that's strongdm.com slash SDT. And, of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. And, Matt, you have some news from your favorite company, don't you? <laughs> well, it, they, they sponsor my, my paycheck. So, uh, so, <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, Chef uh, announced this week uh, we're releasing Chef uh, 16, um, the latest version of the Chef Info Client. Um, you know, uh, this is a every year thing. On, we Matt, release. Sell it. What do you mean? Annual... We don't know. Like, Boom. what does it do? Annually. Why do I want it? Sell me. Why do you want it? Okay. Uh, you know what people like? Yaml. Whoa. You know what? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Maybe we should start that pitch over. <laughs> is there another way? Is there another? Is there another business problem you can suck me in on that doesn't start uh, with Yaml? Uh. Windows performance is 450% faster. All right, I like that. That, that I'm in on. Yeah, that sounds great. Package size is half that of Chef 14. Whoa. So there you go. Um, that either means the people that were smaller, Chef 14 faster. are not so good or the new people are really, really good. We've learned a lot of lessons. Oh, there you we've go. learned a lot of lessons. Oh, you know, um, we've gotten quite streamlined in, in, our, in our offerings. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, Ubuntu and, and new stuff, uh, we added support for 64-bit. Uh, arm across the board so ubuntu red hat uh slez um those are all supported platforms now um uh amazon linux uh all supported on 64-bit arm so uh looking forward to to running those uh graviton 2 workloads um so yeah it's you know every every release uh has a couple of big features uh yaml is is one of them um you know we're we're definitely targeting the the ease of use uh, crowd uh, with that um you know people with, well, with good stuff well really what everyone needs to do is go get yourself some strong dm and get yourself you know get the latest release of chef and i'm going to just speak for all of these companies make your auditors happy that's what you're going to do auditors going to be much happier and it's going to make your life and i know all of you listening to you it's like all the listeners love all the listeners but i know i'm telling you like like your parents your auditors aren't all happy with you i know <laughs> you can make them happy by using strong dm or chef all right, well, Zoom. Hey, Matt, Zoom is back in the news. Oh, and we, we, uh, I guess I never really leave the news now. They're always in not the leave. news. Um, but I thought this week I saw two things that were interesting. First was Zoom has chosen Oracle for their latest, I guess, uh, cloud provider. But if yep. I, I went back and I read, so this was interesting. So I guess since they've had all this demand, this article said, employees at Zoom's engineering operations team have been adding servers and other equipment inside every one of the 17 data center locations. Um, and he said that basically they're, I guess, bringing on two more data centers. So I think this is interesting because as this article says, Zoom has at least 17 data centers, if I'm reading that correctly. They were already uh, customers of Amazon and Microsoft, and then they just recently added a, a contract with Oracle. So... Mm-hmm. Is this? Are they bringing this hybrid cloud message to life? Is this maybe the best example of, of the hybrid cloud that we've seen, at least with all the the zooming that's going on in today's environment? Well, I think uh, what what it usually means is that someone is across more than one cloud, uh, and you know they can up and move to a, a new cloud. It means that they're not really embracing the cloud that they're on. Um, so, so I would hazard a guess there's not a lambda, not a lot of lambda in Zoom's uh, workflow. Um, you know, they're they're probably probably you know primitives like you know uh, RDS, you know uh, databases and queuing services. Those are fairly trans transferable. You know, they 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 look almost the same on, on each of them. Um, Elasticsearch as a service, uh, you know, load balancer services, those are pretty easy to, to move from one to another. But when, when it comes to like optimizing for a particular cloud, Zoom probably intentionally didn't do that is, is what I would guess. Or if they, if they went down that path, they've probably backtracked a bit. Uh, or, you know, conversely, um, Netflix, you know, does run some of their workloads on other platforms, you know, they still have, last I heard, they still had some data centers um, that, you know, were for specialty purposes. So, so it's possible that that Azure and Amazon footprint won't go away because there are some workloads that are optimized for that, that, you know, it makes right. sense to keep. Well, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. One, we could say they've done 
the full little abstracted application that they can quickly move. You know, it's just infrastructure as a service at that point, right? They're just everything. They're not coupled to anything, any of the cloud services. So possible. I mean, it's a lot of work, right? Obviously, you're missing out on some of the bonuses of being with the cloud. Or what you were saying there is they do. They have a specialized services at Amazon, some specialized services at Microsoft. And maybe, you know, maybe they'll end up building some specialized services at Oracle. But our our friend, uh, Corey Quinn, over at uh, this la- the last week in AWS, what is this Twitter name? Quinnipig? I can't ever say it. Anyway, you know, he's the one with the, his mouth <laughs> open, right? You know, you'll see him on Twitter. So he, <laughs> he makes the, uh, well, hey, man, hey, that's his logo. I didn't make that choice for him. Um, he made the case really about pricing and he breaks out the cost yeah. pretty significantly. If you read this in there and you know, I, I think we could say he's probably, you know, one of the foremost experts in cloud pricing. I don't think there's any argument there. So he kind of goes through and says, uh, makes it really look like it's a pricing deal. It's just like, Hey, yeah. Oracle's list price is cheaper than AWS, at least the way he was showing it. And then he was saying that, well, on top of that, you have to assume they negotiated a really competitive rate. So, which is, I don't know, in some ways it's, it's, it's like, I kind of feel like it's a backhanded compliment to Oracle. It's like, okay, well, did they win the deal based on price, which is not a bad thing, but at the same time, that isn't necessarily maybe legitimizing Oracle's cloud offering as much as people would want it to, or at least the people at Oracle would want it to. So well, that's a hard part to kind of, you know, peel apart. I'm, I'm sure, I mean, now Oracle has their Spotify, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, now they have, you know, and, and undoubtedly, Zoom went to Oracle and said, you know, you're going to knock five points off this. So and we will get on every you know investor call. And, you know, anytime you have a big customer who wants to chat about this, they can call us. We'll be a reference yeah, customer, but it's going to cost you. Zoom them. There won't be any telephone calls. <laughs> they don't have any telephone <laughs> they, calls there. Uh, right, right. Well, yeah, they won't WebEx them. Um, so, so, yeah, you know, I'm Zoom. I think leverage this huge deal because of the amount of press art, uh, press that I saw around it. Cause you know how this happens. Like there's, that doesn't happen by accident. Somebody is negotiating for, you know, yeah. uh, not only, you know, uh, some quotes and some, you know, articles, but you know, somebody just, what you said, some references and things like that. So I, you know, but it does, it, I don't know. It really reads though. Like, Hey, this is just a real cheap way to get infrastructures. I mean, kind of almost like to hosting, right. It's just kind of one level above your hosting provider. So, it will be interesting to see in a couple of years from now, like does does Zoom move more into Oracle or do they move away? That would be a big sign. Do they move away from Amazon or Microsoft, right? So Microsoft obviously has Teams. So, you know, there's you know some competitive um, potential there. And yeah. um, so we'll see. I don't know. We'll, we'll just see what happens with it. What's interesting is right around the same, right before this broke, uh, DigitalOcean, may, maybe maybe this came after, but DigitalOcean posted a blog post um, talking about network bandwidth being a uh, being a a dif- differentiator for them and and lots of other uh, uh, well not lots of other but you know for them as a reason that network intensive services run on DigitalOcean and this is exactly what the Oracle Zoom story is about right the fact that they get you know. Uh, if if the uh, the Corey, Corey Quinn article um, is is correct and it probably is, you know, just the fact that they're paying so much less in network transit, that is going to save them a ton of money. And so, you know, if they'd come out and said it was DigitalOcean, that would have been uh, that would have been impressive too. Um, but uh, yeah, Oracle I has their. Say, but I think that would be a really interesting one to see somebody at this level to say we're moving to DigitalOcean because they did. DigitalOcean made that pretty long case about all of the, you know, kind of infrastructure that they're running and why it was better. So I would love to see someone at this magnitude go to DigitalOcean and then actually put out some kind of put out some numbers, right? Like what is what does that look like? Um well I mean, the, the companies that you'd want to see are the gaming companies, you know, your, your Fortnites and, you know, Blizzards and, you know, World of Warcrafts and that kind of stuff who are pumping large amounts of data. They need to be everywhere um, because there are, you know, like uh, I've asked around, you know, in, in the, the Sydney area trying to find who uses Alibaba and all I ever came back with was gaming companies. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would hazard a guess that, you know, DigitalOcean, you know, Alibaba, you know, some of them are, are 
attracted to you know the lower network costs. They've probably undoubtedly they've benchmarked them and and priced them out. And um, there's probably a lot of consumption there that you know it's just it's under our radar because they're not the the name brand consumer stuff of you know Spotify and and Zoom and stuff. But there's probably a lot of gaming companies uh, and you know TikToks and other media sorts that are on these platforms, they might not be on AWS because they are a little more cost sensitive. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, well, Zoom, we're gonna, we want to check back in with them and see how their Oracle uh, uh, installation goes. So you know, write us, write us up a nice report in like six months or a year and tell us if it's going well. Now, yeah, well, let's, give, let's give the people what they came for, our discussion of Fortnite. So <laughs> last week, the cliffhanger episode, where you mistakenly called Travis Scott. Who did you call? What did you, what did you call him? Travis somebody Tra- else. Travis Tra- Knight. Travis Knight. I, so one, we I, did learn that, it's Travis yeah. Scott. We confirmed that. Our, we have sources confirming his name was Travis Scott. So my question is, did you watch the performance inside of Fortnite? No, I didn't. I did. I uh, watched it. Me and my son. Oh, you did? Up. Yeah, we watched the whole thing. I have to say, I thought it was pretty cool. It was actually quite interesting to watch it. And so... I will give a very bad example of it. It was essentially we're sitting there like, and so of course beforehand you can just run around and kill each other, but like everyone's just immediately like put back in. So it's no, like, you know, you're not like eliminated. So that's what my son was doing. He was just running around killing people and fighting. And then it just sort of comes in and it's like almost like a, like a spaceship coming in. And then I will, I would describe it as like a Paul Bunyan, Travis Scott shows up with all the music. And it's like a, it's like a music video, three-dimensional music video performance inside of Fortnite, but it is cool. I will say like, you know, I don't even know if I was skeptical. I was just more like, what is this like? Because, you know, you have some control about where you're watching it from. So we were watching on a mountain and then we could like move up closer. And then as the scenes changed, it kind of took everybody that was watching it and kind of like, we're all sort of together watching this cool music video. So I will say like things I, I, I kind of took from it was like, Pretty cool, and it was a fun thing. I can see why it it definitely has a community kind of feel to it, even though mm-hmm. it you know you're not like you're not really talking to people, but you kind of see other people watching you, which I don't know, was just kind of interesting and and yeah, fun. Right. Um, and the other thing is, I, you know, kind of watching this generation go through it, it I am really interested to see if somebody can like figure out. And I think we've joked about Second Life, you know, making maybe the first attempt, or maybe there was something before that, but with children at this time so used to virtual worlds right will they look back on tools like zoom kind of like how we look at the first view uh set of websites they just took a magazine and they just put it on the web right and it was like it's oh, gonna be done. like real player yeah, yeah and it's like, like no it's not really like the web offers all this other stuff right and i think like i don't know what it is i mean i know it's insane to even suggest it like a Fortnite conferencing thing but it is kind of like it's almost like zoom and all the conferencing things they take the worst part of the physical interaction and like put it online without any of the fun stuff oh the fact that you're online you can like fly around right or the fact that you could like you know use um different backgrounds like that's all very secondary whereas when you watch like every you know kids like entertaining themselves, they like to be in there doing stuff. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know who's going to crack the code. But I did think I walked away thinking to myself, yeah, it would be more fun if someone could adapt something like this for meetings that took advantage of like all the things that you can do in a virtual world that were kind of interesting and fun. Even if it was just all of us, because we've talked a lot about video on video off you know like does it drain you but it's like it'd be interesting if you had avatars or something to the effect of yep. where you could be in there watching but not at the same time not be yourself but it would be really you know i was on this call today with like 50 people in a on this and it's just weird right when you just see all the names it's like what else could we do there so so i did i, I was just kind of left it like I, 20 years from now maybe this generation will be prepared for some type of virtual world because it's not us it's not going to be us. yeah well be there's us. there's a, a good twitter thread from a guy named matthew ball apparently he's a former head of strategy at amazon studios um and he talks about you know, kind of other ways to to think about what's happening here. And, you know, the fact of the matter is like uh, the Unreal Engine makes a ton of money for, um, is it Epic? I don't know who, <laughs> well, you have uh, whoever. Blocks, right? as an, as an... Well, well, yeah, but his point is like, you know, Fortnite is on top of this Unreal Engine. And this is, not only is it something for Fortnite, it's a technology demonstration for everyone who licenses the Unreal Engine. Yeah. And so any, any game, like, a ridiculous amount of games right now use the Unreal Engine, and 
you know, they get something like 5% of whatever sold after it hits a certain dollar amount. And, and so like they're getting a big cut of, of everything going you know out the door. Um, and this is just showing them, Hey, have you thought about doing this? And you know, the, the unreal engine comes from, you know, the unreal game from, you know, way back in, I don't know, it was like, like 2004 or something like that. Uh, so it's got a long lineage and, you know, there is a lot of games that have used it over the years and it's evolved and evolved and evolved and touched all these different game styles and, you know, things that may, might not be games. And so, um, this, this engine will continue to expand and find new, uh, business cases. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting. And, and, and as he points out, like, you know, everyone has read snow crash, uh, and, and, you know, wants to create that, that VR world. And this is actually, you know, on that path and, and probably a, a good, uh, you know, milestone for it. Yeah. Well, I definitely look forward. I look forward to whoever cracks the code, right? Cause I mean, I hope in 20 years, it's not just our, we're all in web meetings showing PowerPoint, right? It feels like there is an opportunity to do something different. And like I said, I think this generation, because they've just been raised since birth on virtual worlds, they may be ready to like take the leap and not think it's so weird. Because I think today we would all think it's crazy. If we all were like in Fortnite running around together, I think people would just be like, this is the dumbest thing we've ever done. <laughs> but, super but, 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 but now we all have virtual backgrounds. That's true. We like the yeah. I think and I think we're gonna look back on that like how novel and stupid that really was. It's like oh, these people just had virtual backgrounds. What you really wanted to do was do X Y Z, and of course yep. right now and I, one uh, one fun stat about it though, because <clears throat> it's always interesting. It's like well, how many people are really doing this? Well, the article I found here says over twelve point three concurrent players participated live in Travis Scott's. I think the official name is astronomical an all time record. So that's I mean that really is rivaling. If I could speak, um, that's on the order of magnitude of like popular TV shows, right? So I mean, it kind of shows you like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just how how much reach it has. And and uh, and my expert in this area, being my son, he told me that this wasn't even one of the more advanced ones. That this was a, a relatively simple one that they did, I guess, in comparison to other live events. So it just shows you. I mean, clearly Fortnite doing well, doing really really well. So. Yep. All right. Well, the other things this week, you know, before we get out of here, um, Rabbit Seven acquired Divi Cloud for one hundred five, one hundred forty-five million dollars. So, congratulations to them. Cote, uh, you know, on his uh, hiatus here uh, in his parental leave, uh, he started Cote Pizza. I'm not even going to describe it for you. You just need to go experience it yourself. Go to Cote Pizza. Yes, that is dot Pizza, and you can uh, see what Cote's uh, occupying himself with while he's uh, doing a lot of parenting. Uh, we also um, have some good nonsense this week. The, the one that really caught my eye is, uh, what if you could control Kubernetes with Excel? So you can watch that. You could just, Excel can do anything. Excel can literally do anything. And now Excel and Kubernetes have been merged. So enjoying that. Uh, and I also enjoyed this microservice. If you're a product manager and you would like to uh, have some fun, watch the microservices video where uh, an engineer explains why a feature cannot be added, which is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> we also had uh, two great listeners uh, email us this week for stickers, sent some stickers to Andy in Texas down here with me, and I sent some stickers to Jacob in New Jersey. So, of course, if you want stickers, all you have to do Send me an email, include your postal address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. As far as conferences, ChefConf still going on, right, Matt? Going to be all virtual? Yeah. Is that the deal? Yeah, or yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm going to be presenting on Terraform next week. So we're, uh, there's going to be like the virtual conference, and then there are going to be a whole bunch of pre-conference webinars. You know, so rather than have you know, three days of content, condensed they're spreading it over a month beforehand so there'll be like the keynotes at the end okay. and content feeding up to it so uh i'll be sure to find find links to that and put it in the show notes and you know start to start up the hype train but i'll see you uh 7 a.m australia time next thursday oh, wow. <laughs> all right there we go and then um our friends at MongoDB, they're having their big event. That's June 9th and 10th. And you can go to mongodb.live. So, again, that's mongodb.live. So lots of lots of good virtual events. And then we still have some physical conferences. As far as I know, they're still on DevOps Day in Minneapolis, that conference. So they're in August. 
Hopefully people will be able to travel. I don't know. We'll keep them in there. I, I kind of list them as my hopeful conferences. I hope people can get together in person. With, say, with uh, all that said, Matt, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, my recommendation this week is uh, a pair of um, browser plugins. Um, <laughs> but of course. Hey. I'm I'm trapped at home, right? I got I got the the junk I got computer junk drawer, and I'm sitting in this seat, and that's all I got. Uh, So the the first one is uh, it's called Privacy Redirect. Um, It's you know uh, listeners of the show might know that uh, I wear a lot of tinfoil hats, and uh, one of them is around privacy. And so uh, there's this Privacy Redirect plugin, and what it does is when you go to sites like Twitter or YouTube or Instagram, uh, it sends you to another site that is the ad-free version of those that pulls the content and turns off the tracking and, you know, you can see the content. Um, and so that's that's what it does. Uh, so there's I learned that instead of Twitter, there's a thing called Knitter. Uh, it's the same content. You know, it, you, see, you see the tweets. All the same, all the same content. Uh, some of the embedded stuff doesn't work, mm-hmm. but, um, I mean, you know, you see the tweet, are they scraping it? Are they like, that's they're, like they're weird terms of service violation or what's going on? I don't know. Strike that from the record. Yeah. Strike that from the record. Um, but, uh, it's open source. It's up on GitHub. Um, you can go see how it works. Uh, it's, oh, it also uses open street map instead of Google maps. Um, you know, it, it kind of works. <laughs> Are you texting everyone? What is uh? Was it Signal? Are you texting everyone on Signal these days? I do use Signal. Do I do not. use Signal, but but uh, I'm also big on the WhatsApp because uh, that that's how uh, Singapore and India like that to. It's really your only link to Facebook is WhatsApp. I, I have an Instagram account, so I can follow software to find talk Instagram. That's true, but you don't really use that one. I was going to say, like, WhatsApp you actually have to use, so it's interesting. All right, well, I guess we need to tell all of Singapore, please move over to Signal. That would make that happen. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then the other, uh, the other uh, uh, browser extension I use that I added to my repertoire is called Autoclose Zoom Tabs. Um, you know, <laughs> when you paste that URL into Zoom, and then it sits there, and it loads it and pops mm-hmm. open your Zoom app, and then you have that tab that's just sitting there, mm-hmm. closes them. They've got one for Chrome. They've got one for Firefox. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, I've actually gotten in the habit of just starting the Zoom app directly and then pasting in the the meeting number or whatever. Too much work. Too much work. I know. I just it just clean. It's like a very clean way. I don't know. There's no there's no URLs pop. I hate when it like, it just pops up to then redirect you to the application. I don't know. I just it bothers me. So all right. Well, those are good recommendations. Those are classic Matt Ray recommendations. <laughs> um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, tragedy in my house. Long time plasma TV died. So what did I do? I went to wire cutter, bought the Sony X nine five OG, and it just actually went on sale uh, today, which made me very sad. But then I uh, contacted uh, Best Buy, and they gave me my money. Uh, the I guess price match. So congratulations, thank you, Best Buy. So really liked the TV. Has a great picture, as all uh, the wire cutter reviews do. So again, I just basically buy that. But I did go through the process. So this is the first android uh tv i've ever had and so i was kind of playing around with you know the android operating system so i'm sort of uh, a weird fascination with just authentication and access and like how how hard is it to get all your services set up so first i want to say disney plus they are the in my mind the 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 outlier if you go through and you're going to log into your disney plus account on a Android TV or a Roku, you are screwed. You get the keyboard. You just get there, and then you have to enter your long, obscure password using the like uh, uh, the remote control. Which is when you do that, I believe somebody from Disney should send me ten dollars, right? Because when I am forced <laughs> to do that, I I am so upset. So because most of the other ones, Hulu, ESPN, Netflix, um, pretty much all the ones that I have, what do they do? They have the nice. You know, go to this URL. website and then you type in your code and then you can use your your mobile device and your password manager. Works fantastic. Disney Plus, and I know they're all in bundled together with ESPN and Hulu. So this is what I want. I want the Disney Plus engineers to call the Hulu engineers. I don't know. Get like do like a get pool. Like you know, let's get let's get that authentication code. Let's pull that into the Disney Plus app. That was my first thing. 
Um, also, Google. I have a because uh, I'm the I'm the anti Matt Ray. I have everything. I have I'm being monitored by every conceivable service. So I bought a while back a Google Hello doorbell, which I do like. And so then I thought, oh great, I got the Google Android TV, so I'll be able to see the picture of when people ring the doorbell. It'll just pop up. Turns out Google made me uh, move away from the Nest authentication to the Google authentication because they told me it was safer. Of course, I, I did it, right? Because I want to be a good person. But then when I did that, they said, well, now it doesn't work with any of your Android TVs or your Netflix. Uh, so you can't see it. So they actually took it away. But they didn't even tell me, Matt. You can't – Matt, this is, this is, I was so upset by this. You can't do a migration of users – and then just take away things. Like, no, the migration is not ready. Careful, you Brandon. Careful, Brandon. This. They're, they're going to just brick it if you complain too I'm much. Listen, <laughs> I'm just telling you. I've been a part of many identity and access projects where you do the migration of the users from one thing to another. Or you enable some single sign-on. You can't just take things away. You have to, like, save the – do something. So, you know, behind the scenes, do the authentication. So I was very, very upset. But there is a very nice post. You can see many – Hundreds, maybe thousands of people have uh, come in, and so they just post this nice thing that says something along something I would have written. It was like, I really appreciate your feedback, and I understand how inconvenient it is. We do know about this feature that is missing, and we hope to eventually do it. And then in the meantime, they're just like, you can use your phone or your mobile device. It's like, come on. So the way I solved this, I did do this. I hooked my Alexa up to my <laughs> Google TV, and now I can use that to then tell it to show the picture. So I route it through the uh, Amazon infrastructure to get the image up. So there you have it. So that's just a long way of saying, I really like the TV and the picture, and that's really all you should care about. But you know, all these other services, they could be better. I think you know, they, they, everyone has some work to do. All right. Whew. Well, that is the episode this week. If this is the first time you've listened to Software Defined Talk, uh, well, welcome. Make sure to go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. There you can uh, subscribe using pretty much any of your favorite podcast players. You can probably subscribe right now uh, using your podcast player of choice. And we have a pretty detailed show notes. In fact, somebody told me the other day that they really like the show notes. So you can either find those actually in your podcast app right now, or you can go to our website. And with that, we will talk to you next time. Bye.